Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. What's going on in Washington right now? Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall and sit there while Congress and Senate are talking over issues, dealing with Christians and dealing with the nation of Israel? Well, we'll find it out because God was our fly on the wall to tell us what they said. We'll be going to chapter two of the book of Psalms. Join me together. Let's go to the word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome to Student of the Word again. Glad to have you here today. We started yesterday a series, and it's just going to be a two-day uh, teaching on uh, uh, Behold Their Threatenings. And this is what was said in chapter four of the book of Acts. Let me just give you a little background on that. Uh, people today look at the word of God, especially chapter 13 of Romans. Then they look at some of the verses in Timothy and, and also in Peter, which says we're to obey and to uh, submit ourselves to our government. And so people often read that as a blanket thing and say, okay, we're always to obey our government. Well, in chapter four of Acts, we find out yes until they cross a line. When government crosses a line, remember when uh, they presented a coin to Jesus, said, here, give me a coin. So they gave him a coin, said, uh, this side heads, tails, basically. But what he said was, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. There comes a day when people try to blur that line and it looks like both sides are government. Government tries to be God and uh, Caesar tries to be God. And in essence, what Jesus is saying through the word of God is there's things you render to your government, there's things you render to God, but don't cross the two, don't let the two cross the line. And so in that case, in chapter four of Acts, they were brought in and told never to preach again the name of Jesus. Now that contradicts the word of God because that's part of the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel in my name, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The name of Jesus is part of what we do because that's our authority. Our authority comes through Jesus. And so when they were told not to do that, they said, no, whether to obey you or to obey God, we have no choice. We will obey God. What they did was they said, you just crossed the line. We'll pay your taxes. And even though we didn't pay, think they're too high, we'll still pay our taxes. Uh, we'll obey speed limits. We'll do all these things that you've asked us to do. But when you tell us we can't preach in the name of Jesus, you've drawn the line. And they said, well, if you do, you're going to get beaten. We're going to take, you know, they said, we don't care. Basically, we don't care. They went back to their own group. And the rest of Acts chapter four was they brought that back to their church. And their church lifted up their voices, prayed to the Lord, and God shook the building to show he confirmed it. And then it says they went everywhere. They went out of there and they preached everywhere in the name of Jesus. They used the name name of Jesus, because that's what's been given to us. But during that prayer that they had to God and that time of rejoicing, they referred back to chapter two or the second Psalm. And we read that yesterday also. Psalm two basically is God like a fly on the wall telling us what's going on behind the scenes in government. When government's having a meeting, Congress, Senate, all that, they're telling us what they're going to do to the, with Christians, what they're going to do for Israel, that kind of stuff. God just simply sits in heaven and laughs at him because he knows something. It's already set what's going to happen. He said, I already set my son on that holy hill. He's going to rule and reign one day. And that's a done deal. That's set. That's not going to change. And you guys might be fighting against it, but you're not going to win. And God in heaven laughs at them. And it says also he has them in derision. He punches Jesus. And did you hear what they say? They're going to overthrow you. That's today. Jesus is in heaven. Go, yeah, I said I'd build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against. I forgot about these government leaders. Oh, surely they're going to. No, they punch each other. They laugh at each other. But then it goes on to say that God's going to get angry after that. 
and uh, he's going to threaten the, the world system. And that's what's going to happen. And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And on that day, he's going to destroy Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, all these, uh, kick them clean off the planet. There's not going to be more sinners on the earth, no more religion on the earth. The curse that was here at the time of Adam will be gone. And uh, again, at that time, Jesus will sit and rule in Jerusalem. And the Bible says the kingdoms of this world on that day will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he, our Christ, will rule forever and forever. And so that's what we're looking forward to here on this earth. So we went through a number of points yesterday and it simply came down, this is where I ended. I think it's important, all of us, we need to, to let, we need to send petitions and letters and phone calls and tell we're gonna vote back good candidates. But all of this alone will never deliver our nation. It's going to take Jesus Christ. We're told in chapter one of the book of Acts, just before Jesus left, they were talking to Jesus that, are you gonna again bring the kingdom to, uh, to Israel at this time? In other words, are you gonna make Israel great again? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which are in my Father's hands. When it comes to end time events, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the coming of Jesus Christ to rule and reign over this earth, that's in the hands of God himself. He said, which are in my Father's hands. He said, again, that it's not for you to know the times and seasons which are in my Father's hands, but you're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'll give you power to do so. The main thing we are to do today is not try to save our nation, but save sinners. The Bible doesn't say angels will rejoice over every good president we have. We will, we'll have a good time. I mean, if we get a good president in the next number of years, hallelujah, I'll be glad for it. But I realize this, it's still gonna take Jesus Christ to rule and reign over this earth. In the meantime, it says, again, angels don't rejoice over a, a new president and angels re don't rejoice over, you know, some piece of legislation. We do. Angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. We can get a good man into office, a good woman into office and be president of this country. But you know what? They're just temporary. The last four years, they could be voted in again or voted out. And we've seen this happen in our nation. But I can tell you this. The angels don't rejoice because this is temporary. The angels rejoice over something that is eternal. And what happens that's eternal is when we lead one person to Jesus Christ, heaven has a party. And so, but God, listen, God doesn't wring his hands over past or current legislation in Washington. Is Jesus concerned over bills and petitions which will hinder our ability to worship the Father or spread the gospel? As I remember, Jesus told us he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Listen, this, this kingdoms of this world are not gonna stop the church. In fact, what's gonna stop the church is Jesus is just gonna come and get us and take us out of here. So there'll be no destruction of the church. Absolutely, there's gonna be a resurrection of the church from this earth and will be taken to heaven Jesus said this in, in Matthew 16, 18, it comes back to this. If Satan can't destroy the church, how can Congress destroy it? Or a president of our country, because the church can't be destroyed. It will be taken out of this earth and will be taken to heaven. And uh, we'll be there for seven years going through the judgment seat of Christ. But then we'll come back with Jesus as a bride adorned for her husband, all riding on white horses. So does God have something to say? Well, there's nothing new. All problems which exist today have existed since Adam. God must have something to say about the matter, and he does. Is that we, you are not I right now. The problems we have have been here before, but they are mounting up now worldwide. It's not just here. Do I believe the United States is having revival? The answer is yes, but you know what? It's just not the United States. It's a worldwide revival. 
The worldwide revival will start before we are taken out as a church and will continue to grow. When the church is removed, the revival will continue on. When all the Christians are gone, there's going to be immediately at that moment 144,000 Jews that receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The gospel and the word of God, which has been entrusted to the church, will now be shifted back to Israel as it was before the church. And for seven years, they will be the custodians of the gospel and of the word of God. And immediately 144,000 Jews will be saved. And when they are, the gospel will continue being preached and the revival will continue on because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so this gospel will be preached in the entire world and then shall the end come. So the writers of the word of God have spoken out of the Old and the New Testament about the same issues we face in our nation today. And one of those writers was a king himself, David. And I want you to go back to the first six verses of his psalm, the second psalm. Why do the heathen rage? And the people, that's the multitudes on this earth, imagine a vain thing. The kings of this earth set themselves against the rulers. They take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the church and that's believers in this earth. Let us break their bands or their chains in two. Cast away their cords or their ropes from us. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and vex and terrify them in his sore displeasure. This is his fury. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I want you to find the first thing that's said right there. Why do the heathen rage the people imagine an empty thing? What we see around us is we see two things in this earth today. We see rage on one side and emptiness on the other side. The world's population is divided into these two parts in verse one. The heathen and the general population. The heathen are those who constantly are enraged and make troublemakers in society. Some of them are the angry whites, enraged blacks, radical feminists, militant homosexuals. They take up almost half of every news broadcast. Reporters are quick to cover their marches, street wars, protests. Their message is hard and loud and clear today by everyone, and they strike fear into people's hearts. They accomplish their goals through fear, threats, intimidation. We see and read and hear about them in Bosnia, Syria, Egypt, Afghanistan, the streets of New York, and the heartland of America. The question on the minds of everyone is, where are we headed? to? What's going on? People are filled with fear because it seems there's no apparent solution to the problems. And Jesus warned us that in the last days, men's hearts would fail them because of fear. That's Luke chapter 21 and verse 26. It's not something isolated to one part of the world anymore. It's everywhere. But the second part of the world's population is called the people. This is the common people all around the earth. David said they imagine a vain thing. The Hebrew says they meditate on empty this describes the second half of the news broadcast. The first half talks about all the rage. It talks about all these things going on the, uh, the, in our society. We see these things happening, but the second part of it switches to the emptiness of our modern society. We're warned not to burn wood in our fireplaces, release carbon dioxide into the air, burn our trash. After all, we are told we live on a fragile planet. We're instructed to visualize world peace, coexist, and live in harmony. Yet it seems all of man's attempts at peace and harmony, the world is becoming a more dangerous place to live with every passing day. What does the local and national news seem to be reporting the same thing? 
Why does there seem to be the same liberal slant to reports from governments and the news media? Could it be there's a master plan behind what we see and hear? David says yes in Psalm 2, but he tells about it in the verses to come, verses 2 and 3. The kings of the earth are behind the scenes. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is Jesus Christ. They come together to come against Christians in this earth and also to come against Israel. It says, let us break their bands, their chains in two, and cast away their cords from us. The evil leaders feel hindered as well as they should. They are presently working behind the scenes in Washington, Eastern and Western Europe and Asia to keep out the gospel and the Christian influence that is there so they can take over the world. It's behind all of this is Satan himself who was cast out of heaven, cast to the earth beneath, tried to overthrow God. He was overthrown at the cross. He has been sentenced, but he has not yet been imprisoned. So between the sentencing of Jesus raised from the dead and the time that he will be cast into hell itself and and serve the jail sentence at that time, we now have him today and he refuses to believe he lost. He still thinks he can overthrow God. He can overthrow Jesus Christ. And when Ever, he is finally cast into hell for a thousand years and released for just a moment at the end of the millennium. He still thinks he can overthrow God, and that's when God will throw him eventually, eternally into the lake of fire. Ha! Huh. All these things are happening, and the good thing is we are on the winning side. I'll see you right after the break. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy. And pastors, ministers, I know many of you would like to have some evening classes. Maybe you don't have enough in the congregation to really have fellowships, home groups, things like that. But this is the most important. This is supplemental the Word of God. I have a curriculum series, 10 30-minute uh, lessons on video, as well as my book on end times that goes along with it, a teaching on the subject of probably one that pastors fear the most is end times. Don't understand it. With all the different viewpoints today, I come back to the basic of what the Word of God says. There is a rapture of the church coming, and seven years later after that, Jesus is coming back to establish his millennial kingdom on this earth. And so much is taught in the Word of God about the simplicity of what God is saying. Once you understand it, then it seems like confusion is gone. If you'd like to do this, you might have a time where you do it over a two-week period, five nights a week, or spread it out into 10 weeks, whatever you would like to do. I know it'll be a great blessing to you. And on top of that, your congregation will come out smarter on the other end, and you'll look good because you brought it into the church. See about having this series just for yourself. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Understanding the end times, one of the most incredible and fascinating doctrines in the Word of God, will bring us comfort for the days in which we live. The Bible says we are to encourage and exhort one another with the knowledge of Jesus returning for His saints. In Understanding the End Times, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a thorough and exciting study to give you more revelation of these times in which we live. Topics include the seven dispensations, the dispensation of the mystery, 
the rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, Daniel's 70 weeks, the temple discourse, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. To order Understanding the End Times, visit bobyandian.com. Again, we come back to chapter two or the second Psalm. And I want to read that again because I've been uh, amplifying that, taking sections of it during the first half of this broadcast. Why do the heathen rage? And why do people imagine a vain or empty things? The kings of this earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord, that's Jesus Christ and the church, and against his anointed, that is, first of all, the believers in the earth and the nation of Israel, saying, let us break their bonds or their chains asunder in two and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens will laugh, that's God the Father. The Lord will have them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and vex them, terrify them in his sore displeasure, that's his fury. And yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. We've talked about the opening parts of the, those verses of scripture, but I want to take and take the next look at it. Who's going to stop them? David says in those verses of scripture, he who sits in the heavens will laugh and the Lord will have them in derision. Why does God laugh at them? Because God knows the future. You know what? When we hear these things, oftentimes we get fearful. What's, the, what's Congress trying to do? What's the Senate trying to do? Oh, I hope the Supreme Court will stand with them. The point of it is, is we need to laugh also. You know why? Because like God, God's told us what the end's going to be. And I can tell you this, Antichrist won't sit on the thrones of this earth. No, Satan will not sit on the thrones of the earth either. Jesus Christ will. Jesus Christ is the one who created everything around us. And he gave it to Adam, but Adam voluntarily turned it over to Satan. So Satan has it today. But even there, Satan will have an end of his lease. Basically, yes, this is it. The Lord owns the earth, but Satan has a lease on it. But his lease is going to come up soon and be due. And God's not going to renew the lease, the lease. No, not at all. So that's why God can sit in heaven and laugh. He gets why? He looks to the end and says, uh-uh, it's guaranteed. And he'll look at Jesus sitting next to him and say, you're going to sit on the throne. He said, that's guaranteed. I've already written it in the word of God. It's going to come to pass and I do not lie. Every word I have said up until now has come to pass and every word I have to say for the future will also come to pass. God is laughing. He's laughing in mockery. He's laughing in derision and derision. He's making fun of them. And so we can do the same thing. We can behind the scenes laugh because we know what's going to happen. I can't tell you everything's going to happen, every little intricate detail of what's going to happen because God doesn't do that. He gives us the general wide brush marks of what he's going to do. And in the meantime, we're stuck between those brush marks wondering, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day? God simply says, if I tell you what's going to happen in the future, understand we will get there. And so I don't care what they say today, it's not going to happen. I don't care what they say. It might happen for just a moment, but it's going to be taken away. Ultimately, this is what's going to happen. Jesus Christ will come to this planet. He will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Antichrist will be gone. Satan will be gone. Demons will be gone. Fallen angels will be gone. The beast, the false prophet will be gone. The curse on this earth will be removed. All sinners will be taken off the earth. All religion will be taken off this earth. And once the curse has gone off the earth, then even nature will break forth into the same glorious liberty as the children of God. On that day, the trees will clap their hands. The oceans 
will clap their hands as the curse that was placed there at the time of Adam is finally removed and Jesus Christ will come back and reign forever and forever. There'll be no Congress, there'll be no Senate, there'll be no Democrats, there'll be no Republicans, there'll be no uh, uh, election every four years. Jesus will not have to be reelected every four years and the Supreme Court will be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect environment, perfect weather every day. I mean, this earth is going to be perpetually for a thousand years. We're going to have an entire planet that will be a garden of Eden. And the wonderful thing of it is again, Jesus Christ will rule and reign after that will come the great white throne judgment. At that time, all sinners will be standing before God's throne. Satan will be there, Antichrist, all those. And they will eventually, after that, be cast into the lake of fire forever and forever, right? Uh, until that day, they're held in, in hell. Hell is under the earth, but it's the waiting place for the final place, which is the lake of fire, which they will be cast in there. Hell is bad, but the lake of fire is worse. But once that happens, then the earth is gonna be renovated. The, the surface of the earth be renovated, the, the uh, atmosphere around the earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And so whatever uh, place where Satan has had power, on, the, on this earth, and also he's the prince of the power of the air, and so the air is filled with demonic forces. God's gonna cleanse all that, and the earth is gonna be renovated, and after that, we'll have a new heaven, and, and heaven where God lives will come and rest over the earth and rest right over the nation of Israel, and then where Jesus Christ will sit will be called the new Jerusalem. So what happens is right now God is laughing, which means we can laugh too. We know what's going to happen. We see the end result because the Bible guarantees it. God is laughing, so Bob wants to laugh. God has them in derision, punches Jesus next to him. I'll punch my friends and go, guess what? Here's what they're saying in Washington because here it is in Psalm 2. And it's in Psalm 2, they said it back in David's day. They're saying the same thing today. So it says God will speak to them in his wrath and then vex them in his sore displeasure. And that's exactly what's going to happen. The tribulation will come next. And it's not only going to be the wrath of Satan on this earth, it's going to be the wrath of God against people. He has given 2,000 years to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And finally, his patience is going to come to an end. God, uh, the, finally, God's anger is going to rise up and uh, God is not one who uh, endures forever. No, he has a point where finally it comes to an end. And at that point, God's gonna send his wrath on this earth. He'll visit the earth, but before that wrath comes, he's going to take the church out because we have not been appointed under wrath. And so uh, right now we see the world rising up in foolishness and their defiance against God. What was the attitude of the early church? In Acts chapter four, this newly formed church met its first opposition, it came from the government of the land and it came from the leadership of the, of the uh, Jewish religion. Because of the healing of the lame man in chapter three, the Sanhedrin called in the church leaders and beat them with whips, then threatened them and told them never to preach again in the name of Jesus. The Jews prided themselves on being tolerant of other religions, but tolerant until they became powerful and successful as Christianity did. We speak of religious freedom, but laws are made to come against two groups, and that is two religions, Judaism and Christianity. And in Acts chapter four, we are told again, finally, uh, when they came and they reported in verses 23 through 25, that's what they said. But by the time we get to the end of it in verse 29, down through verse 31, we are told there. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they left from there speaking the word of God with boldness. No, they went preaching everywhere in the name of Jesus. They went in great boldness preaching everywhere 
And guess what? God began to do signs and wonders and miracles. And we are in that today. Let me tell you what I, I know we're in right now. We are in the midst and it's being called again, the third great awakening here in the United States. And it is, but this isn't just the United States. This is a worldwide revival. In fact, it's been going on in other nations long before it got here. A friend of mine has gone out to South America for some time. He's gone down to the nation of Brazil. And uh, I, I've known him for some years. I meet him in, in, uh, in airports. And I was talking to him one day. I said, where have you been? He says, I've been down in uh, Brazil. And I said, what have you been doing? He said, I set up the 100th Rama in Brazil. And I said, you mean in, in South America? He says, no, though, the 100th Rama in Brazil. There's revival down there. There's churches down there running 20 and 30,000 and people getting saved everywhere. Signs, wonders, miracles, things like that. Healings everywhere. And I said, wow. And he said, yeah, 100 Rama Bible training centers in that nation. Seven or eight months later, I saw him in the airport again, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. I said, so what are you doing now? He says, well, I just dedicated the uh, 170th Rama in Brazil. I said, your case is no, no, 70 more since the last time I saw you. This thing is going crazy. Well, that's not just, that's just one nation. And nations around the world are experiencing great, great revival. We know in the Muslim nations, Jesus Christ is actually appearing to Muslim people and telling them that he is Lord. And people are accepting him because they're, they're so difficult getting people in there, but there's such a hunger down there in those nations for people that want to know Jesus as, as Lord and he's appearing to them. And by the time our people come over, they say, well, yeah, we knew you were coming. Jesus told us you were coming. We saw Jesus and now we know how to accept him as our Lord and Savior. So this is happening worldwide. And usually in the past numbers of years, revival started in the United States and then spread to other nations. In this case, it started in other nations. It's now coming to the United States. And yes, I believe in our nation, we are having a great awakening, but this is, listen, this is for the entire world. This is the coming of Jesus Christ and worldwide revival is now starting and spreading around the world. It was said in many of the founders of, of Christianity uh, back numbers of years ago in our nation, they foresaw this coming. And just a number of years ago, even back during the uh, 1940s, 1950s, some of the great leaders of the United States uh, uh, saw and had visions of this thing coming to pass. Smith Wigglesworth saw that this revival, the last revival coming, he said he saw two hands coming around and they met in Australia. Interesting, they met in Australia. And he said the two hands represented the word and the Holy Spirit. He said for the first time ever, this particular revival, there will be a blending together and a total agreement of the word and the spirit. We've had revivals of the word. We called it the word movement. We've had revivals of the Holy Spirit, the healing movements, the charismatic movement, all these different healing times. But again, he said, this one will be a unity of the two. Uh, can, can you imagine if the word and the spirit agree? I mean, a teaching of the word of God and also the power of the Holy Spirit. What a great thing that's going to be. So it comes back to it again. We are in the midst of revival. This, this prophecies that others have given in the past. Again, the thing why I believe their prophecies is because they line up with the word of God. Many prophecies are being given today which don't line up with the word of God. And we're supposed to believe them and their prophecies don't come to pass. Even some have given time periods in the next two weeks, in the next two months, you're going to see this happen, but it hasn't happened. But you can't talk to them because they get upset with you saying, how can you dare come against God's uh, anointed, his prophets in this land? We're told in the book of uh, that John wrote in his first, second, third book of John, he wrote in there to beware when you hear about prophets, he said, that'll be coming in the last days, he says, they'll prophesy things that aren't going to come to pass. And we need to judge them, it says. How do we judge them? By the word of God. And they don't stick to the word of God. If 
prophecies come regarding revival that lines up with end time events in the word of God, I'll believe it. But if they don't, then I'm going to stand back and just watch. If it's true, it'll come to pass. If it's not true, it won't come to pass. And much of what's being said today is not coming to pass. I'm going to stick with the word of God. If what you're asking me to do is believe you or the word, I'm going to believe the word. That's what happened with the disciples. We're telling you not to go and preach in the name of Jesus. I said, wait a minute. If what you're saying contradicts the word, we're going with the word of God. And they chose the word of God and God's power backed them up. So it comes down to this. Whose job are you doing? The disciples of the early church understood the issue well. We have civil responsibilities, but ultimately taking care of the evils of the world will be handled by God himself. That's why when the disciples said, are you going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? They said to Jesus, he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which are in my father's hands. When Jesus stands up to come and take the church, everything shifts over to the power of God and the sovereignty of God during that time. Taking the gospel to the world is our job, not taking care of the world and, and shaping up the world. No, taking the gospel to the world is what God gave us because Jesus went on to say, you'll receive power to become my disciples. God will empower us by the Holy Spirit. Again, when we accept our main responsibility and our main responsibility is the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Have a great day. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.